Nehemiah chapter 2, we'll get to the text in just a moment, but we understand, and as Brother Chris said, a lot of us here this morning understand our Bibles a little bit more. You're this morning crowd, so you're, you want to be here. Some of us have been in church for some time, so we're not going to read a lot of the, the text. But you know the story of Nehemiah, and in Nehemiah chapter number 1, we see how Nehemiah came to a conclusion here early on in chapter 1 and realized there was some truths uh, about his homeland. And he realized there that his homeland was in trouble and the people there had become distressed. And I believe we can relate that to our homeland today in America. We've heard some of that in the preaching already and uh, how we understand America's in trouble. We need churches planted in America so we can send those missionaries around the world. And Brother Todd said it right last night that the solution to all of our problems is not in the politicians or their policies. It's in the preaching of the gospel. Amen. And we understand that. Nehemiah had come to this realization and he concluded that he had an obligation. And with that obligation, he had an opportunity to do something about it. And every one of us here has an opportunity to do something about worldwide missions. Not everybody's going to be called to go somewhere in the United States or around the world to plant a church. But everybody here can give toward that cause. Amen. And so we see here in chapter 2, we know Nehemiah comes to the king. He's requesting that he may go uh, to Jerusalem. He asks permission there in effort to make a difference. And that ought to be our desire to make some type of difference, amen, in this world. He was granted that request, as we find in the scriptures, and he goes to Jerusalem. He takes an inventory there of the damaged wall. And if you look in chapter 2, verse 17... We pick up reading, it says, Then I said unto them, this is where he's rallying the people together, together after he has uh, taken inventory of the, the, the wall. He says, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. We find here now they have a, a big pep rally going on. Nehemiah has gathered them together. He's assuring them that God's on their side, that they can do this work together. You go into chapter number 3 and you see where the remnant there comes together under the leadership of Nehemiah. He was a very strategic man. He's placing them uh, on the wall there near their homes to do the work. And I believe he was strategic in that because he believed uh, that they would put a little pride in that section because uh, that wall depended on their security. Amen. And I believe if we would take, just take something from that this morning, if we would take a little bit more pride and be a little bit more serious about building those walls of separation and security around our homes, listen, we, our families depend on that. Amen. And when you look in chapter 3, you find a, a diverse group of people. It's interesting how they come together. You find priests and goldsmith, and you find rulers and merchants and just the common people coming together for the common cause there. At this point, it didn't matter which tribe they were from. Uh, conflicts had ceased because they recognized that the cause was crucial. 
uh, differences were put aside because deed and duty demanded so. And man, wouldn't that be just a great practice in our churches today if we just implemented that? Now, if we did, I wonder what could get accomplished today if we would just put our conflicts aside and those little silly concerns that really mean nothing and come together and realize there's a cause, amen? There's souls dying and going to hell and we need to band together. We're all from different backgrounds and different cultures and different skill sets. I look at our church in Utah and there's from people all over the country even world there and God has brought us together amen for the sake of the Savior to see souls saved and discipled and when you look in chapter 3 you find three really main groups you find those that were steady you find the phrase over and over and next unto them and next unto them and next unto them and it simply talks about those families doing what they were supposed to do doing their part being steady Then you find those being slothful or those that were simply just spectators in verse number 5 of chapter 3. In the latter part of the verse it says, But their nobles put not their necks to the work of the Lord. And you're always going to have a few like that that's just spectators. Those that are just sitting by the wayside. Those being slothful. Don't be that person. But then you find those that surpassed. And in that same verse you find a family by the the name of Tekoyites. And they done their part. It says, and next unto them the Tekoyites repaired in verse number 5 of chapter 3. But if you go to verse number 27, it says, after them the Tekoyites repaired another piece. Amen. They wasn't satisfied with just being steady. They wasn't satisfied with just doing enough to get by. They wanted to do a little bit more. And that, that's the Christians we need to be. We need to be those second mile Christians. When we see that, that gap, amen, we need to be those gap fillers. But let me say this, before Nehemiah ever started the work here, the enemy began to stir the waters. And this morning I want to look at the resistance to Nehemiah. The resistance to Nehemiah. Turn back to chapter 2, look with me in verse number 9. The Bible says, Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Father, help us just for a few moments, Lord. We're thankful for this time together, for the wonderful preaching we've heard last night and this morning, God, all the wonderful music. And God, I pray now that we would just be open to what you have for us. Lord, challenge us and change us and encourage us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. First of all, if you're taking notes this morning, write this down. We see the demeaning of the work. The demeaning of the work. You have to understand here, there's, at this point in the scriptures, there's been much prayer, much planning and preparation by Nehemiah. So much has been accomplished already here. But before he even puts his hands to the plow, we find in verse number 9 and 10 that the enemy here is already showing some opposition there. We understand that the enemy heard about the work, amen. The Bible says that there was a grievance in their life. That means there was extreme sorrow that a man came to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Let me say this this morning, that every church represented here and those that will be birthed, you know what those are? Those are walls, amen, that are going to be built for the welfare of the people in those respected uh, communities. And let me say this, before you even get started in that work, the devil is already going to show some opposition in your life. He wants to hinder that. 
Once Nehemiah rallied the Jews, as we then read in chapter 2, verse number 18. If you look in verse number 19, we see it again. But when Samballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? We find them here laughing at them and despising them and making false assumptions about their motives. We know in chapter 4, and I won't take time to read it, but in verses 1 through 3, we find where again the enemy showing opposition. It says they had great indignation and they mocked them and they questioned their ability and they casted much doubt about their credibility. We see that when Tobiah talks about even if a fox uh, go up the wall that they build, it'll just fall down. So they're questioning what they are doing. And that's exactly what Satan will do. I think about when we got out there to Utah and we were knocking on doors and, and Brother Van Coker was out there with us during that time. And some of us were remodeling the storefront. Some of them were out there knocking doors and we hit 20,000 doors uh, before we ever had our first service. And in between all that, we'd come back to the house and, and get a snack or a meal. And I remember a gentleman sitting out underneath our shade tree and these two kids walking by and they didn't see him and they're talking. And we had just moved into that little neighborhood and those two little kids were talking and they said, well, who moved into the new house there? And the other little kids said, well, Grandma said that's the Baptist. They won't be here very long. <laughs> and I'm just telling you, there's been many times I've wanted to quit, but every time that comes into my mind, Grandma comes into my mind. Amen? Amen. I, but that'll get into your head. That'll get into your mind because there is a lot of people that goes and they don't stay. Amen. And I see that out there. And that's what everybody complains about in the West. They complain about us Southern guys. And I just say, praise God, at least we're going out there. Amen. But that's why we created IBM Ministries because we do see them come and go. And I ask many preachers, well, what are you doing to help them stay? Because you've done nothing but run me down since we've been out here. I said, listen, we see the problem, but let's put a solution to that and try to help them, amen, and encourage them and love them and equip them so they will stay out here. I think of our first soul winning meeting we had, you know, when we planted the church. Well, it's all converts. They'd never heard of soul winning. Matter of fact, it was spooky to some of them. And I told them, I said, listen, I said, I want to teach you and train you that we go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. And so we had a little soul winning meeting and we were teaching them. And there was this lady we was, we was picking up during that time. And she grew up in Utah, claimed to be a born again Christian. And we'd have these different uh, sessions and we'd take breaks in between the sessions and then I remember I'd go outside and, and get some fresh air. And then I found out later after the meeting that one of our families was taking her home. And uh, what I found out is during the meeting and on those rides home, she was casting doubt on all of it. Matter of fact, while I was outside in the church, uh, she would turn around and she'd look at everybody that stayed in the church building between those sessions. She'd say, this will never work out here. It never has. It never will. And she kept doing that on the way home. And finally, the, the brother that was driving her home, he had his family in the back seat. He goes, listen, would you just hush about that? We don't want to hear about this negativity, amen? Right. We need more people like that, man. When people start doing this, amen, we need somebody just to shut them up. You know, she's not there today, fast forward eight years, but I can take you to Mount Logan Baptist Church in North Logan, Utah and introduce you to several families that we met knocking doors that's got saved by the grace of God. Listen, we don't need games and gimmicks and smoke machines. Listen, knocking doors and preaching the gospel still works today. Amen. 
And I promise you, Satan's going to make sure he places those type of people in your life to degrade you and to demean you and try to get you discouraged before you even put your hand to the plow. Secondly, we'd only, we not only see the demeaning of the work, but we see the discouragement during the work. Boy, if the devil can't get you to quit before you ever put your hand to the plow, you better believe he'll try to hinder you while you're engaged in the field God has called you. Satan is still on the prowl. Look in chapter number 4, verse number 10 with me. And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they shall not know neither see till we come in the midst of them and slay them and cause the work to cease. Yeah. We understand here, we see the people in the midst of the great and large work as it is described in chapter 4. They've become discouraged and keep in mind just a couple chapters before this is the same group that rose up and said, let us build. I mean, they were excited to get engaged, but then just a few chapters later, they're ready to throw in the towel. Yeah. You know there's a bunch of Baptists, amen. But now, we see here that Nehemiah, we know his name means encourager. He comes in chapter 4 and he's trying to encourage them to continue in the work. One of the greatest things about the Word of God, I think, is it doesn't just talk about the mountaintops. It talks about those valleys. It's very, a very real book and that should help you and I. Uh, because we understand that we're wretched, we're vile, we're nobodies, and we see some, or we think sometimes that God can't use us. Uh, but we see those men and women God used. Man, they were they were messed up people. Amen? Amen. And many of them faced discouragement, just like the remnant here in Nehemiah. You find Moses in Numbers chapter eleven discouraged about the people there, and it became a burden in his life, and he wanted to die. You find Joshua in chapter number 7, one of the greatest generals in the Bible had faced the defeat and he became discouraged, causing him to even question God's plan. Boy, that happens a lot, a lot of times. You get to where God has you and you wonder, should I even be here? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? I think of Elijah. We all know the story of him, a man that faced off with 450 prophets of Baal and prayed down fire from heaven. Then he finds himself wanting to die because of a woman by the name of of Jezebel, I'm talking about getting discouraged this morning. Amen. Uh, I think of Job, where we know he had a great beginning and a great end, uh, but in between he faced a lot of discouragement. Uh, wished he'd never even been born. Jonah, we understand, became upset because the whole city uh, turned to God and got saved and he begged God to kill him. Even Paul had days of discouragement when he said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. We know that uh, everybody forsook Paul in the end. So we understand that discouragement is real. And I think sometimes, preacher, we put on this facade and we don't want to be very transparent about that. But if we be real, every one of us has faced it. Every one of us has wanted to throw in the towel. Every one of us has wanted to quit there. And in chapter number 4, verse number 10, the people were decaying. They were getting weary along the journey. Their devotion uh, that we read about in chapter number 2 began to deteriorate. And then, man, their excitement exited real quick. And that happens. You're on deputation. You're in services like this. It's exciting. People love on you. Amen. And you're in a different atmosphere. It seems like every day of the week. And then you finally get to the field God has planted you and some things just ain't as exciting as they yeah. used to be. And then the devil crawls up in your lap and says, really, are you supposed to be here? Amen. Are you really called? How about your God now when 
all the discouraging times come. I'm talking about discouragement's real this morning. Burnout is real, and you better realize that this work God's put us in, it's a marathon, it ain't a sprint, amen? See, passion will get you to that start line, but commitment's going to get you to the finish line. Amen. And that's what we're lacking today is that commitment to continue. Things are going to get hard. We know that. Read our Bibles. Amen. Don't listen to the TV evangelists. Read the scriptures. We're going to face trials and tribulations. But notice when they became discouraged in verse number 10, they began to look at the rubbish. Instead of having those eyes of faith and having that vision, and every one of us need to have a vision of the ministry God has put us in to see that finished wall, amen. But instead of having that, they began to allow their flesh to look at the fallen wall and the rubbish. Instead of focus on what already had been built at this point, they began to dwell on what's not been accomplished. And man, this is a very dangerous mindset. We all need to learn to be content where God has placed us and what God has allowed us to accomplish. If you never get a hold of that, you always be discontent, disgruntled, and discouraged in the ministry. In verse number 11, we find how they were discouraged and their strength was weak and the enemy knew that. And he's seen an opportunity to come and weaken them even more. And the purpose of that in verse 11 at the end says, and cause the work to cease. The devil knows when you are at your weakest moment and he will slide in there to do what he can to just finish that off and to finish you off to get you to cease from doing what God wants you to do. He doesn't play fair. He loves to prowl during our weak moments hoping we will quit. I remember early on, we were out there in our first winter and when you grew up in North Carolina and you moved to Utah, it's radically different. And I wasn't used to the long, dark, cold, snowy nights and I was sitting there. We just started the church, already facing some opposition. I was in my office about 1 in the morning doing some Bible college. And I was sitting there listening to a man teaching on church planting that when they recorded that video, he didn't know me, but I've always known of him. And he was talking there about church planting, and he says, boys, listen to me. He says, I know of a young man going to Utah that's going out there to plant a church on top of another man's ministry. Keep in mind, our town's about 60,000 people. So Utah State University's there. Our county's 120,000 people, and there's one church in the whole county. And he's sitting there talking about this, and he says, boys, you need to learn to do your homework before you go plant a ministry on top of another man's ministry. Well, I knew who he was talking about because that preacher sent out another preacher 30 years prior to Utah. I knew the connection. I knew who he was talking about. And I looked up to this man. And I thought, man, is that what he thinks of me? And, and I went in there and woke my wife up in tears. I was discouraged. I was down. The devil knew I was already weak, so he just came in there and tried to weaken me even more. You're talking about defeated and discouragement. When we're weak, you better believe the devil's going to take advantage of you. We see the demeaning of the work, the discouragement during the work. And last of all this morning, let me say this. We see the distraction from the work. Look in chapter number 6, verses 1 and 2. Now it came to pass when Samballot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Samballot and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono, 
but they thought to do me mischief. At this point here, we understand it's recorded that the wall is complete, but the gates are not up yet. Nehemiah and the remnant are coming close to finishing that work God has called them to do and that work they have set out to do. The enemy tried to get them to quit before the work even started. The enemy tried to get them to quit during the work. And here toward the end of the work, the devil is not letting up. They're trying to get into the mind of Nehemiah and the remnant there. Matter of fact, if you read chapter 6, five different times they sent messengers and letters to Nehemiah to try to get him to walk away from the work. In other words, the adversary this morning, he is persistent. And if the devil don't won't quit and won't let up, why should we as children of God, amen? With everything that God has done for us, he didn't quit going up Calvary's hill, amen? Whenever that little opposition comes in our way and we begin to suck our thumbs and crawl into a fetal position, you must remember the cross of Calvary and how far he went for you and I. And if the devil won't quit, why should we, the church of the living God? Listen now, rest assured, Satan's gonna do what he can to distract you and distract your man of God. That's what Satan's doing here, their leader. He's going to distract your shepherd, your spiritual leader from completing that work and, and marring that vision God has given him. I appreciate your preacher here this morning, amen. Appreciate his vision, appreciate his consistency, amen. I appreciate all of that, but I promise you, because he's got a vision, Satan's doing what he can to mar that vision. Child of God, it's the same for you. He'll try to do what he can to distract you. and You better recognize the wiles, the trickery of the devil. Recognize where they're coming from before you get detoured. Nehemiah, facing much resistance during his work, endeavored to get engaged in the work of God. But doing that, he saw the enemy come against him and demean it. Discouragement came. Distractions came. But look in verse number 3 of chapter number 6. We'll see how Nehemiah responded to him. He, he said in chapter number 6, verse 3, And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and cometh down to you? You realize we're doing a great work today, amen. The Bible says in chapter 4, verse 19, I believe it is, that this work was labeled as a great and large work, Amen. And we see that word great is mentioned 27 times in the book of Nehemiah. Talking about a great mirth, amen. Talking about a, a great God. And he is a great God this morning. And it is a great work. And as a brother, brother Elijah mentioned, I don't understand either, brother, why God would call a little boy from faith, North Carolina, amen. Didn't grow up in church, didn't know the church lingo, didn't know nothing. I just knew I was dying and going to hell that day. And God saved me and God called me to preach. I, listen, I ran from that. I'd never taught a Sunday school class. I'd never spoke in front of anybody. I could think of a million people that God should have called out of that church. But God called me that day. And I've never looked back thanking God for the ministry he has placed me in and I've recognized it from day one that it is a great and large work and it deserves everything that I have amen which ain't much but we are to give everything a hundred percent to the work of God like Nehemiah you got to keep your focus in the work you got to keep your faith in the work you got to keep your fervency in the work listen this thing this work God's called us it ain't for lazy people amen we missionaries are under the microscope they read our prayer letters every two months amen 
and they want to see results. And sometimes there's just not many results according to man. But as long as we're being faithful, that's all that God cares about. But the reality of it is this. A lot of those sending churches, amen, they're not doing half of what the work that the missionary's doing. Amen? And I ain't being ugly or mean. I'm just simply saying we get scrutinized, amen. We're under the microscope there, and I believe it's right. We should be fervent in the work, amen, because look what he done for us. He gave his life for us. The least you can do is live for him. Remember, if you quit and you walk away, that work is hindered. Someone's dependent on you. You say, I ain't nobody. Oh, yes, you are. You're enough to God that he gave his only begotten son for and if you give a dollar to missions, you're helping that missionary get to the field Absolutely. so he can build that wall Absolutely. of security Amen. so the gospel can be preached, so that person can get saved by the grace of God. There's going to be resistance, folks. But I'm glad for that remnant, amen, that's made their mind up. No matter what comes our way, by the grace of God, we're not coming down, amen. We're going to continue. We're going to move forward in this great and large work. Was thinking this morning about last year, March of 2020, is when most of us think about COVID. But it was different for me because I was going through a deep depression. Before I ever went in the ministry, I've never faced depression, Brother Hewitt. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a jokester. I like to have a good time. I, I'm serious when we need to be serious. But I like to have a good time. You know, life's too short to always be sad and mad and. I was sitting there, and I couldn't explain what I was going through. My wife was trying to help me, but she couldn't, and it was getting bad. And we men don't like to admit that. I'm just wanting to be transparent with you this morning. Somebody may need to hear this. I don't know. She called my pastor out of concern, and I got mad at her because we men don't like that. But my pastor, Alan Montgomery, most of you know him. I love my pastor, by the way. Been out to Utah eight times in seven years. Amen. He's coming out in a couple weeks uh, to help us work on one of the buildings and he'll be out there in December to ordain Brother Ryan Davis. Amen. Amen. So I love my pastor. He called me and he said, Brother Kermit, what's going on? I said, Preacher, I don't know. I was just so dark and it's so deep during those. I, I couldn't explain it. And I'll tell you what made me mad. I'm healthy. My family's saved. God's provided. God's blessed. Why am I like that? That even piled on top of the depression. Those people... A lot worse than I was. So it was just compounding. He says, I'm coming out there tomorrow. I said, preacher, if I knew how to fix it, I'd fix it. So there's no reason. He says, I ain't coming to fix it. I'm just coming to be with you. And so he did. He got on an airplane. He showed up the next day. And he didn't try to fix it. You know what he'd done? He kind of just even stayed out of the way for the most part. He would go around fixing electrical outlets in my house. He was just doing little odds and ends. Loved on me. And then he left. You say, well, how'd you get out of it? Just pressed on. There's no, I don't know. I don't know. But I got to thinking if I would have quit, Vision Week of 2020 is when a young lady by the name of Susanna Rowles showed up. She is from Arizona, and she came to Utah for college, and the Mormon church was shut down, so she decided to visit a Baptist church. And this is no lie. She Googled what to do in a Baptist church. It says sit in the back. Amen. <laughs> uh, that's what our people's been doing lately, ain't it? Yeah. Amen. So, 
So she, uh, she showed up, and, and the last two years, see, every school in Utah, public high school across the street has a seminary that they can go and learn their doctrine for four years. That's why those missionaries are slick like they are. That's why they know what they believe, though it's wrong. They know what they believe. They train them well. And so she had been going through that, but the last two years there was questions pop up. And when you question your bishop, you're basically told to just believe or don't ask because they don't have the answers. So she came to the Baptist church and she showed up during vision week. She came every day. She heard sessions on culture, what, she was going, what we coming out there deal with, which is the Mormon church and how to deal with that. She heard some hard things during those times. We found out it was her birthday that week, turning 18 years old. So we got her a birthday cake. We sung happy birthday. We loved owners, what we done. Right. Our youth loved owner. We involved her in volleyball and just, just loved owner. Well, that next Sunday, there was a message simply preached on the cross. And she couldn't leave the church. She actually came back in the church, grabbed my wife. My wife took her in my office and gloriously led her to Jesus. Amen. <laughs> now think about this. Her, she called her mama. They're, they're staunch LDS. She's the first one to come out. Gener, it's a generational thing on both sides of her family. And she called her mama, told her what happened. She goes, give it a year before you get baptized. Well, she did. I told her, respect your mama's wishes. So she gave it a year. So this past July, we baptized Miss Susanna. Yeah. She got uh, joined the church. Amen. She's involved now in our Bible college. Yeah. And in our missions conference last week, she stood up and surrendered to be a missionary. Amen. Amen. Just a year and a half ago, she was a full-blown yeah. LDS Mormon. Amen. Bound for hell. But I got to thinking, what if I would have quit when the devil wanted me to quit? Amen. Where would she be today? And I could tell you story after story. The discouragement we got on the road of deputation and, and, and some of that got in my head. But I was just so crazy to believe that God could do something out there. Amen. And God is. And God can do that in Georgia. He can do that in Alaska. He can do that in Mississippi and Scotland and wherever you're serving, God can. But he won't be able to do that if you quit on him. Amen. I'm talking about being real this morning and, and just continuing. Too many people don't cross that finish line. Don't be that person. Amen. It's going to get hard, but remember somebody's depending on you to stay in there. Pastor. Pastor.